0: For them. So, Rick, let me know when you guys are good. Hey, by the way, great job, tech team, last night at the Wonderful. praise gathering. You guys knocked it out.
1: It's amazing. So I asked the Lord, well, actually, I made a suggestion to the Lord last night. I made the same suggestion this morning. I said, you know, it would be really good if when I get up to prophesy over these kids, you would speak their particular spiritual gift mix. So they would have a sense of something they're called to in the kingdom of God. So that was me asking him to do it. I don't know if he's going to, but we're going to try and see if he will. So let's just wait on the Lord for a minute. You have a particular uh, gift of mercy. A very compassionate heart. You're very playful and you're a lot of fun and And uh, you make everybody laugh and smile, but inside there's a person that feels very deeply. You feel the pain of others. The Lord's going to use you as a conduit of his mercy and compassion. And uh, whether it's a formal thing or an informal thing, you'll have a gift of counseling, which is going to go with that, because you listen well to people. They know when you listen to them, they know they're being loved.
0: Amen. And uh, the, the name, uh, say the name into the... Reinforcement. Brianna. Reinforcement. Say the name, each one down, so when they listen okay. to this, they know who, All right. Uh, being prophesied over.
1: This is the really question. difficult because one of my greatest fears is messing up somebody's name in public. No pressure, Mark.
0: This is Elliot
1: Ettore. <laughs> Why don't you come along with me and yeah. help me? Did I pronounce that right? <laughs> There's a bit of a family resemblance. <laughs> Entrepreneurship, administration, entrepreneurship, administration, and another one. I'm going to wait on that. Administration, entrepreneurship. You have a real fine analytical mind. You know that. That's no surprise to anybody. But you're going to... um, when you get this all sorted out, Elliot, in are in God's good time, you're going to be very uh, powerful in the kingdom mm. for, for uh, organizing things and making things happen. You're going to be the go-to person. When somebody says, how could we possibly do this? You're going to say, well, <laughs> well yeah, that's easy. You do this, 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 and this. And they'll go, wow, I never thought of that. You're going to have a hand in creating some amazing projects and things that are going to do great things in God's kingdom. But more from, more from like the business perspective, you're really going to have a skill for that. And it's going to be a joy for you. And all of the other things you've learned are going to be brought to bear coming together in that particular gift. You're going to see one project after another. It won't be a full-time thing for you. You'll take them on as you feel compelled to. You'll see them through to fruition. And then you'll get bored. And then another one will come along. But it is going to last a long, long time. Thank you, Lord.
0: We bless you. Name of Jesus. Matt Morris. It. Did you get that?
1: Yes, I got that. His okay. name is Matt. His All last right. name is I'm a prophet. His name is Matt. His last name is Morris. <laughs> if you're wondering, that's accuracy, folks. That's what it's supposed to look like. Matthew, the word that comes to me is innocence. You have a childlikeness about you. It's not a spiritual gift. I'm going to wait on that. But you have this amazing childlikeness and sort of purity of heart. You love um, unashamedly. You love with an absolutely open spirit Mm. Um, in a very simple, childlike way. It's very disarming. It's quite wonderful, actually. Mm. People are going to trust you. And uh, they're, they're going to they're gonna pour their hearts out to you. And there's going to be counsel. There's going to be counseling involved. And also, as you study the Bible and learn more, you're going to apply his word in biblical counseling. It's going to make a real difference in people's lives. So you can begin to expect that to start happening. Thank you, Lord.
0: We bless you. We bless you, Matthew.
1: Uh, Matthew, I see you like an arrow st- um, shooting straight. There's, there's nothing... Um, bent about your anything you and the counsel you will have will, will go straight to the heart so I bless you with confidence uh, in in the God
0: that you love so much Kate Ostoski Stos- I
1: don't know that um I don't know what you're going to do with your life, but the word nursing popped into my head. I don't know if you have any medical aspirations, but um, if you do, you're going to be really good at it. You have a way, a practical way of bringing help to people in a very um, non-threatening way. You're easy to be around. You're, You're quiet. You're gentle. You have a really soft spirit, but when you begin to serve people and care for them, They know that they're being loved. And you think it's just the way you are, but it isn't. It's a spiritual gift. It's a gift of compassion and mercy. And you have it very deeply and very strongly. Whoever you care for practically feels loved by God. They actually feel loved by God by what you do. Powerful, powerful thing. It's going to last your whole life long. That gift is never going to leave you. Thank you, Lord.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. Oh. Kaori, Kaori, oh, okay. Say it again. Kaori, Shirilla Sharia. Did I say that right? Not Sharia. When, I, when I said the first totally. one, I got insecure because she had a smirk and I you thought just, I blew uh, it.
1: <laughs> yeah, he, he, but he, he just messed it up so he's ruined the rest of her life.
0: Can you scrub, <laughs> please scrub the this last is, 30 seconds the yeah. of the tape. Maybe take.
1: you want to repent, Mike. That would be a good thing man. You. Okay, you're gonna in the name of Jesus. and this is no surprise given the music in your family, but you're gonna be a worship leader and you're gonna write songs. And they're gonna be from the heart, they're gonna be genuine, they're gonna be simple, not complicated, but they're gonna be filled with emotion because you're gonna write from your heart. And sometimes you're gonna write out of your pain, which most worship writers won't do, but you will be able to write out of your pain and because you're able to write from your pain uh, to God, others are going to be able to follow in your footsteps to take their pain to God in an authentic way with integrity and find him in a whole new way, even in the middle of their pain. Thank you, Lord. Awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Lord.
0: Asia Tholander, we bless you, Asia.
1: Asia, I believe you need to explore short-term missions. You need to explore traveling. You should go on some trips to Mexico. Uh, you may get to go on some trips to India. Um, there's a call on your life to the nations. And uh, it may not be something you do full-time, but it's definitely something you need to explore because you will find fulfillment when you're working cross-culturally. You're really going to enjoy working Uh, cross-culturally. And it's just a gift God gives to some people, but you have it. So you explore that. And you look for opportunities. When they come along, take them. Because you're in for an adventure. And it's going to really, really fulfill you. Thank you, Lord.
0: Honey Grenendorf, we bless you, honey. In the name of Jesus.
1: Honey just got admitted to Stanford. Yeah. You're not very... uh, The Lord says... uh, Honey, the Lord, says, the Lord says you're not very smart, but, but he's going to help you to be smart when you really need to. She has a passion. We, we know this, so this isn't prophetic, but she has a passion to write. She wants to be a writer. And because of your abilities and the hand of the Lord upon you, you're going to accomplish that. You're going to write powerful, powerful books. Mm. And I know you're attracted to fiction because you've got a fine sense of the story. But although you're going to write fiction, that's not going to be your most influential work. Your most influential work is going to be nonfiction, and it's going to be faith-related. It's going to be books that open people's eyes to God in a way that they have never seen Him before. You're going to be a bridge, particularly to non-Christians. And um, study some psychology, because it's going to, psychology is going to influence all of your writing. It's going to be really important to your character development of your characters. And as you do that, you're going to learn things that are going to be huge in the books you write for God. In fact, you may end up with a psychology degree, too. That could easily happen, because you've got the smarts for it. So we bless you in this because you're going to be a powerful, powerful, very successful woman. And when you're surrounded by all those godless people at that school and all that pressure is coming against you to pull you away from your faith, you remember what you felt last night in that pit. That was God in that praise pit last night. That was God. Okay, he's real and he's all over you and you can't be talked out of an experience of him. All right. Yeah. Okay. Amen. I
0: also, uh, also get the word journalism for honey. So let's reach your hands out to these guys. You guys know God. There's no question that he exists. Be Daniel's. Be Hannah's in the world. Because the world needs Light. That they can see in the darkness the way you carry yourself, the things you stand up for, your demeanor with those who don't know Jesus yet. Don't be condemning. Don't be shaming. Don't be superior. Be humble and loving, but uncompromising. And who you know Jesus to be and uh, how to communicate him to others. Because there's a world going to hell. You're going to be surrounded by young people who are being the voices that are coming not from God, but from Antichrist and a God, without God, voices and philosophies to try to um, change you. You cannot allow that to happen because you're the hope of the world. There's a lot of young people who come to Christ because you will not fail and give yourself over. To the river of this life, of this world. Amen? Amen. Bless you guys.
1: Well, just before we start, I want to welcome uh, friends from Guadalajara. Alejandro, Lupita, Sarah, Isel. would you just stand and say hi to people? Just, Just, just give a wave. There's good people from Guadalajara. Thank you. And uh, this next thing I'm going to do isn't easy for me, but um, I'm a Christian, and I'm also a lawyer, and when I make a deal, wait, 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 what, 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 what? I know, Christian lawyer, it's an oxymoron, it doesn't make any sense, but... I entered into an agreement with someone, and there's something that I have to do. Pete, where are you? Uh, Pete Ramos is a good friend of ours, and he came um, to help me take a tree down in my backyard two weekends ago. He charged me absolutely nothing. Nothing. And it was a huge job. Huge job. But he did insist that I sign a written agreement. He also insisted that I read it publicly at church. (laughs) Although it pains me to do this, I have to honor my word. I don't want to make any mistakes, Pete. This is the contract between... Pete drafted this for me to say. He also suggested certain gestures, facial expressions, and things during this contract. (laughs) This is the contract between Peter Ramos and Pastor Mark. There is no charge for trimming your tree because you're always so nice and kind to me, not like someone else we both know. (laughs) Someone else we both know. Without naming names. It is my pleasure to do this work for you. Signed, Peter Ramos. Thank you, Pete. That's it. That's it. Mission accomplished. Now we can go on to the teaching. I, my hands are tied. I had nothing to do with this. Okay. Now, Look. This is awkward. The Bible says we're supposed to rejoice with those that rejoice. And we're supposed to weep with those that weep. The first wedding I ever did, the groom's father attended the uh, rehearsal and died that night. So the next day... Do you go ahead with the wedding or not? And and, uh, they prayed and said, no, we're going ahead with the wedding. It's what our father would have wanted. So here in this one moment, you're rejoicing with those that rejoice. And you're weeping with those that weep. This is the definition of our fellowship. We share one another's lives. We're spiritually connected. And we just had a fun moment at John's expense. (laughs) But I just found out that uh, an armed security guard went into a nightclub in Orlando and killed at least 50 people. It happened last night. And uh, this is a tragedy. It's the worst massacre of this sort in American history. So we need to take a minute. So let's pray. Father, we don't know if this is a terrorist attack. We don't know if it's a hate crime. We don't yet know enough. But we know this. There's at least 50 families who have lost someone that they love. There's more than 50 people that have lost someone that they love. And this is clearly the devil's work. There's no way to see this, but that it's evil. Father, we ask you, in fact, we cooperate with you. We pray the release of your Holy Spirit to go to the people that have lost loved ones and to bring your presence and to bring your comfort. And above all, Lord, above all, we pray that you will use this tragedy to draw people to yourself who would never know you under any other circumstances, that you will use this, Lord, to draw people to yourself and to save them. So we pray the release of your Holy Spirit to all these people that have lost loved ones and to this community. And we pray this in the all-powerful name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay. We are in the book of Acts. And as John said last week, it's Acts part 17 and it just happens, by our good fortune, to correspond with the chapters we're actually looking at. So today's message is about chapters 17 and 18, but before we jump into 17 and 18, I want to take just a moment to review the first missionary journey that Paul makes. Now this one we're going to look at in a moment is the second, but we need to look at the first because they really reflect the same pattern. And I want you to look for a pattern as I read quickly summaries of these cities towns, places that he went and taught, and the things that he did, I want you to look for a pattern. And when we're finished, I'm going to ask you what that pattern is, and you can pick out the commonalities. Are you ready? It's an open book exam. You can even look at your Bible if you want to. All right. Acts chapter 13, verse 4. Paul and Barnabas. Pardon? Yeah, Acts chapter 13, verses 4 plus. It's a whole part of the chapter. Paul and Barnabas go to the island of uh, Cyprus. And here they're summoned to explain the gospel to the proconsul, to a government, a high-ranking government official. This is a great opportunity. If he were to be converted, this would have huge influence in the whole region. So the proconsul is reacting favorably to the message until his court sorcerer intervenes to prevent him from believing the truth. Paul is going along, he's making headway, the uh, sorcerer starts to intervene and say he doesn't know what he's talking about, they get into an argument. Paul, under the power of the Holy Spirit, prophesies to this sorcerer the darkness of his heart and blinds him. That's really something. As a result, the proconsul decides to believe in Jesus. Then they go on from Cyprus, they go to Pisidian Antioch. In chapters uh, 13, verses 13 plus, in Pisidian, Antioch, Paul preaches persecution results. They're expelled from the region. Next, they go to Iconium, chapter 14, verses 1 to 7. In Iconium, Paul begins preaching in the synagogue. They stay and, quote, preach boldly, unquote, and the message is confirmed by miraculous signs and wonders with many converts. The reaction from the religious leaders is more persecution, so they leave the region and they go to Lystra and Derbe. Chapter 14, verses 8 through 20. In Lystra, Paul is preaching, and he heals a cripple in the middle of his message. Isn't that something? I've always been fascinated by this. Paul's preaching along, and he sees this cripple, and Paul sees that he has the faith to be healed. What did he see? What did he see? Because he interrupts his message right in the middle of it. And he says, you be healed. And he prays for him. And the guy is healed. And then Paul goes back to finish his message. (laughs) I just find that so fascinating. The way the Holy Spirit can intervene. We think we're doing one spiritual gift. And three seconds later, we're doing another. And then we're back to the other one. Now, that's responsiveness to the Holy Spirit. So he heals a cripple in the middle of his message. Now, the people's reaction, they start to worship Paul and Barnabas as gods. They think they're Greek gods come down to live amongst men. Paul corrects them. He goes on preaching. Some Jewish leaders from Antioch show up and stir up a riot against Paul and Barnabas, and Paul is stoned and left for dead. John taught on this a few weeks ago. But his friends go out and pray for him, and he's resurrected from the dead or from the sleep or the unconsciousness that he was in. And the next day they leave for Derby, and they go back and, re- and revisit the previous cities and they appoint elders in each local church and then they go home to Antioch. That's his first missionary journey. What do you note from what we just heard? What? Hmm? Can't hear you yes that's that's the Greek the Greek is the Greek word rocks means okay okay, so first of all, there's the gospel, so there's preaching taking place then there's supernatural you said confirmed by miracles, then there's supernatural things happening, then what then there's persecution, then what exactly converts, and finally hint hint. And then they revisited the previous cities. They appointed elders in each local church, and then they went home. So finally there was a church plant. So we see a pattern. We see preaching confirmed by supernatural uh, gifts. We see persecution. We see converts, and we see churches being planted. Is that the pattern? All right, let's go to his second missionary journey, and this is where we're picking it up. And this begins in Acts chapter 16. And we've already looked at this, so this will be a bit of a refresher. So I'm going to ask you some questions as we go through this. Acts 16, Paul goes to Philippi. What happens there? Now, if there were some Christians in the room, we wouldn't have any problem answering this question. Pretend you have a Bible. Pretend occasionally you read it, or more simply, pretend you were here last week and the week before. <laughs> pretend we didn't Paul have casts Paul casts out a demon from a slave girl, a fortune-telling slave girl, and because it costs somebody money, which usually gets people upset, they're thrown in prison. And then what? Now, we're not on a roll. Now you know the story. They're in prison. Then what? Sets them free, bam, the, the earth shakes, the, 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 the gates are blown open, however, and off they go to the jailer's house. Isn't that interesting? He takes them home for dinner. You've just broken out of my jail, you might as well come home for dinner. So home for dinner, and the whole, whole household of the jailer becomes Christians. A church is planted which grows and prospers. Then they go on to Thessalonica. There he preaches. Riots break out. He does signs and wonders. Now, in the book of Acts, it doesn't say he did signs and wonders in Thessalonica. But if you go to Thessalonians and you look at the verse that describes this particular trip, this is what he says in 1 Thessalonians 1 to 5. 1 verse 5. Our gospel. Now, this is important. Our gospel, in other words, our message of salvation, came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit. Do we see the same pattern? And again, it results in a church plant. Now, next he goes to Athens. What's Athens all about? It is, it is the philosophical, intellectual center of the Roman world, okay? What American city would it most resemble today? Boston. Boston. <laughs> oh, I don't think so. Oh, maybe Harvard. How about New York or L.A.? Well, yeah, but no, New York's pretty sophisticated. I mean, people sit around and talk about new ideas all the time. Okay, Boston. It's the intellectual center. Ramona.
0: Ramona.
1: (laughs) Yeah, in Ramona, people talk about like the newest tractor. (laughs) Eh? I got a really hot tractor. Come over and see it sometime. Let's go tip a few cows. Ramona. All right. So it's the intellectual center. What's Paul as a person? Tell me about Paul. What's he like? He's brilliant. He is a Pharisee of Pharisees. He's probably, well, there's no question, of all the Christians in the early church, he stands head and shoulders above all of them in intellectual ability. He's an intellectual. (laughs) No, I don't think he was an athlete. He's probably got, if he lived today, if Paul lived today in our culture, he would probably have three or four earned PhDs. The guy has a brain the size of a truck. Honey Grundahl, going to Stanford. So he's coming home to his intellectual roots. He's coming to a place, I can almost see him coming into Athens saying, Oh, boy, this is going to be great. I'm going to get to debate. I'm going to get to argue. I'm going to get to talk to all these intellectuals. This is, I'm, he's coming home to his natural abilities. Hello? He's coming home to his natural abilities. This is really who he thinks he is. So he comes into the town, the city, and listen to this. Acts 17, verse 17. Paul reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and in the marketplace. Now, Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, transcribes for us the gist, the core of Paul's message to the Athenians. And maybe you remember it, but he sees uh, a statue to an unknown god. And he thinks, what a great jumping off point. What a great way to start my message. So he says, oh, you Athenians, you're you're so brilliant and, and thoughtful and, and uh, you know, you care. You've even got a God. You've even got a statue to the unknown God. He said, let me tell you about the God you don't know yet. Guys, is that not one of the most clever beginnings of any message you've ever heard? Yeah. And... Theologians, and I've heard some of them say that that there is no better sermon anywhere in the Bible. This is the high water mark of good preaching. In fact, it's held up in seminary as as one of the most perfect messages a person could ever preach to present the good news about Jesus. What was the result? Nothing. Nothing. Absolutely. A few converts, no church plant, no nothing. It is the only place that he went where there wasn't a church that resulted from his visit. Hello? Well, is Paul capable of learning from his mistakes? His next stop is Corinth. Right after this failure, this perfect sermon, this great intellectual presentation, this fine human reasoning, this oratory, nada. So now he comes to Corinth, and this is what he says. Corinthians 2, 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 to 5. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I didn't come with eloquence or human wisdom, brackets, like last week. As I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Christ Jesus and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and with great fear and trembling. I wonder why. Could it be that his great mind and his great giftedness had just failed him two days ago? Could it be that for the first time, for the first time in his large-brained life, that was not enough? God has a way of bringing us face-to-face with what we've been relying on and finding out it's not enough. If he loves you, if he loves you, does he love you? All right. If you love him, he is going to bring you to the place where your abilities and your natural giftedness and your strong suit is not good enough to solve your problems. And that's his mercy. You understand? He will allow circumstances in your life that confront you with your inability to manage your own life. And that is not judgment. That is mercy. He's doing you a favor. Right, Hope? Right. Me too. He's doing us a favor. Because my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Why? Why do we need a demonstration of the Spirit's power? So that our faith might not rest On human wisdom, but on God's power. Listen, if someone can talk you into being a Christian, someone else can talk you out of it. If someone can talk you into being a Christian, you, in your weakest moments and greatest temptations, you will talk yourself out of being a Christian. If our faith does not rest on something more than our human abilities to understand, then all our faith is is human ability to understand. And God is not interested in our knowing Him on the basis of human abilities and our ability to understand Him. We can't understand Him. We get glimpses, innuendos, and rumors. Someday we will see Him And know him as he perfectly knows us. But that day is not now. We need his help to believe. Becoming a Christian is a supernatural event, people. It's a supernatural event. Without him, without the Holy Spirit making clear God's truth, we can't comprehend God's truth. And Paul understands that because he just lived the other side of it. The church planted in Corinth was birthed as a supernatural church, as are all the rest of the churches Paul plants. From Corinth on, Paul goes back to the pattern that works. This is Jesus' pattern, it's Paul's pattern, and it's the pattern of the New Testament church. What does this mean for us? How do we apply this truth? We live in a postmodern age. Philosophers call it the postmodern age. We're postmodernists. Postmodernism is characterized principally as an age in which absolute truth is irrelevant. There is no such thing. In most of the people you talk to, no matter what they do for a living, the, the intellectuals will say, oh, yes, we're in a, an age of moral relativism. The age of absolute truth is past. All truth is a matter of perspective. That's what the intellectuals will say. The guy that works in your garden will put it this way. Well, you have your truth and I have mine. We all have our truth, which means we all have nothing but what we think. Our truth is opinion and nothing more. Hello? This is the age in which we live. (laughs) And we've got the task of trying to tell people the truth. How do you tell someone something they don't believe exists? There is no such thing as the truth. Is your opinion? Thank you for sharing your opinions about Jesus. It was very interesting. Do we need the supernatural power of God working in seeing people come to know Him? Has the pattern changed? Has human nature changed since Paul's days? I'm going to tell you a story. We, we have the time. There was a guy in this church 10 or 15, well, 12 years ago. His life got rough. Marriage wasn't going well. Lost his job. And he decided to kill himself. So he took his 38 out in his car and a bottle of Jack Daniels. And he drove to a parking lot where he wouldn't be disturbed. And he began to drink enough to get up the courage to kill himself. And a security guard was walking through the uh, parking lot and saw this guy sitting there just drinking in his car and got kind of suspicious about it. And he came up and saw the 38 on his lap and called the police. And the police came, took him to the hospital. He was a real mess psychologically, so they put him into the psych ward. And, of course, he sobered up and he's sitting there And he's contemplating whether he should follow through with his suicide or not. And in the course of thinking about that, he begins wondering about his faith. Is there really a God? Was my faith based on anything more than my opinion or what some people at church told me? Is my faith really true? Because if my faith is really true, I can have something to help me go on into the future and maybe I can make it. But if my faith is not true, there isn't anything, and I should go ahead soon and kill myself. So he began going through all the reasons for his belief. He went through the intellectual things he'd been told, and it didn't add up. It wasn't enough. It wasn't that it was irrational. It just wasn't rational enough. It didn't convince him that God was real. Now he's in a serious crisis and he begins going through his memory to find some evidence in his own life that God really is real. Do you know what his evidence was? The gift that I've always considered the least important of all of them was a the gift of tongues. He remembered the spiritual experience he had When the Holy Spirit came upon him and he began speaking in tongues. And he knew in that moment, this isn't me. I'm not making this up. This is God. God's real. And that memory of that supernatural, simple little event in his life gave him what he needed to believe that God was real. And he went on from there and recovered and never killed himself. People can talk you out of an idea, but they cannot talk you out of an experience. Because you know it happened to me. I have times when I doubt things in the Christian life. But I always go back to the visitations and the experiences of his love. He is more... I don't know everything about him. I don't know the whole plan. I don't know whether we get raptured or not. I don't know a whole bunch of stuff. I don't know who all is going to be in heaven. I don't know most of the doctrine we all take is true. I'm not sure. But I am sure of this. There is a God. He is good. He loves me. He has saved me from myself. And I am going to spend eternity with him. Of this, I am absolutely certain. And you know what the other stuff, we, we can fight about it. It's good party stuff, you know, argue about free will and stuff. That's entertaining. But the bottom line is, people, you need an experience of him to know that he's real. We need it. And the people we tell about, we tell them about him, they need it too. They need their proof. They need their experience. So God's given us spiritual gifts, signs and wonders, brushes up against the supernatural to open the heart and mind to believe in a supernatural God who is good. This is what we need. Even at its. Oh, listen to this. Uh, this is too good to miss. Openness to God often comes through an experience of the supernatural which is undeniable and which opens the heart and the mind to the reality and goodness of God. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot. Cannot. So that they cannot see the light of of the message of the glory of Christ, who is the perfect representation of God. Not will not, can't. So you see, conversion is a supernatural event. If the Holy Spirit doesn't come and give you a moment of clarity about who Jesus is so you get to make a decision, you don't get to make a decision. If he doesn't illuminate truth to you in that moment, you don't get truth. Even now, listen, I love this quote. This is my quote of me. Even at its most rational, the decision to become a Christian is a supernatural event. Until the Holy Spirit intervenes to free an individual from spiritual blindness, conversion is not possible. The issue is not that people don't want to become a follower of Jesus. It's that they can't. There is a power of supernatural blindness that is more powerful than their ability to reason accurately about the existence of a supernatural God. When we truly understand this, we'll approach evangelism the same way Jesus, Paul and the early church did. We will pray with a supernatural faith for a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. And we'll be open to every spiritual gift of power that might be necessary to open the minds for long enough to give them a decision unhindered by the power of the enemy. How are you going to apply this? How does does this... we got a minute. How does this truth... About spiritual blindness in the lives of the people we love who don't know Jesus. In our own lives of knowing God and knowing that we know God. Knowing that we know God. How does this apply for you? What's the application in your own life of this message? So step one in dealing with the lost is to pray against the spirit that is blinding them. Right? And you know what, guys? You can do this. I was in a meeting 25 years ago, a connect group in a home, and the girl had become a Christian. She was in love with Jesus, and her husband was radically opposed And he would go out while we were meeting there, and he'd come in when he thought and hoped we were gone, but sometimes we'd stay late. And he would come in and look at us, and I just saw just hatred in his eyes. And their marriage was being torn apart by the fact that she'd become a Christian, and he wasn't. He couldn't stand having us in the house. And she said, would you please pray for him? Because he has to become a Christian or the marriage is over. And I said, sure. And, you know, I was studying intercession and prayer about this time, doing a series on it. And I realized that I don't want to pray my prayers, I want to pray Jesus' prayers. Jesus is before the Father right now, praying for the lost. Did you know that? It's what he does 24 7. He's praying for us, and he's praying for the lost. So it struck me, you know, he's got prayers right now. In fact, he's got prayers for her husband. And I thought, I want to pray God's prayers. I want to pray Jesus' prayers that Jesus is praying to the Father right now for her husband. So I said, Holy Spirit, what are the spiritual powers that are binding him and blinding him from hearing the truth? And the Lord said three things. One was um, self-sufficiency. And the other was corporate success and pride rising up in his company. He just was fighting to become a VP. It was a big corporation. Third one, I can't remember. So I thought, okay, Lord, I'm just going to start um, praying against those spirits in his life. So I'd spend five minutes of my prayer time, just five minutes. I'd say, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I come against uh, the spirits trying to bind so-and-so. I pray against the spirit of pride. I pray against the spirit of self-sufficiency. I bind these, these works of the enemy, these spirits from lying to him, About who he really is. That would be it. Five minutes every day. Three weeks later, I was at the connect group. And uh, everyone else had left. Her husband hadn't come home yet. And I said, how's it going with so-and-so, your husband? And she said, it's the strangest thing I've ever seen. She said, there's been this change in his thinking. I said, what do you mean? She said, well, yesterday... He told me he doesn't want to be a VP anymore. He doesn't know why he cared about that. It's it's too much energy and it's hard on the family. (laughs) I was just like, my prayers worked. Because you know what? They weren't my prayers. They were Jesus' prayers. If we can get in touch ...with the Holy Spirit and say, how do you want me to pray for this person? He begins to show us what we're up against. We bind that and we come against that. Then the Holy Spirit can rush in. Listen, we don't get a person saved through our prayers. Don't ever think that. We give them a moment of freedom. Our prayers lift a a demonic force off of their minds and, 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 and emotions and hearts... ...intellects long enough that they actually get a free choice. Do I want Jesus or don't I want Jesus? But that's all anyone ever gets is a free choice. And then we make up our own minds. But until that freedom comes, there is no making up a mind. There's bondage. Right? So what's your application? Number one is you're going to pray. We're going to pray with more faith in a more focused way. And we're going to find out what the Spirit wants us to pray for people. What's another application? We've got another one minute. Give me another application. Binding? Yeah, I think that's a part of the prayer. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Now, let's keep moving down this. Paul's experience. Come on, people. Paul's experience. Signs and wonders. We, we, we need to be open to being used by the Holy Spirit to do things which are supernatural. To bring to a demonstration, bring a demonstration to the person that God is really real And they have a brush against the supernatural. And after they brush up against the supernatural, they've already gotten halfway there. Wow. There's a God. Ooh. One of the best ones. Healing and prophecy. Person experiences a supernatural healing. Believe me, their minds are open. You speak a prophetic word to someone about the secrets of their heart, the very things they've been wondering about and pondering about, stuff they've written in their journal. And you come up and say, you know, I know this sounds crazy, but I just, I'm a Christian and I think God communicates to me and I think he just told me this about you. Is this true? And I go, how did you know that? And that's happened to me so many times. How did you know that? Well, you see, there's a God, and he's real, and he really loves you enough to tell me to talk to you about this issue. Wow, tell me more. We've got to be people who pray and risk. We pray and we risk. And it's not always apparently supernatural. It can be something like dropping a casserole off to the person next door who's been sick for four days. If it's an act of love, the Holy Spirit can make it supernaturally powerful. But don't just use that to, oh, I just do servanthood, man. I never take a risk with any of those weird things. Take a risk with the weird things. I mean, why not? Do you really want to get to heaven? And he says, you know, I love you so much, but you never tried much and you hardly ever risked. And I got to tell you, it was a disappointment to me. I don't want to hear that. You know what I want to hear him say? I want to hear him say, Mark, you're an idiot, but I love that you took too many risks. I love that you did too many crazy things in my name. I really like that you tried. But It wasn't, it wasn't me half the time, Mark, but I sure love your attitude. <laughs> well, what's wrong with that? If you're going to make a mistake, make it in the right direction. Believe for too much, people. If you're going to make a mistake, believe for too much. Don't believe for too little and play it safe and get to heaven and say, I buried my spiritual gift in the dirt. Here, have it back, Jesus. (laughs) you want to show a little uh, long-term investment return? Yeah, clean off the dirt and hand him a little spiritual gift that you never used. Okay? So will you guys pray with me for a minute? And let's just ask the Lord, i got a thought here. Holy Spirit, I really believe that, that you're speaking here to us, that this is true. That you're causing us to, you're calling us to pray more faithfully in line with what we've asked your spirit to pray. And I think, I know, I know that you're calling us to risk some supernatural gifts. Messages, praying for the sick, prophecy, whatever. Lord, I'm asking you for this. Would you give each one of us in this room one of these kinds of opportunities in the next seven days? Lord, in the next seven days, maybe even this afternoon. That you would give us a chance to pray for a sick person or 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 to risk with the prophetic message from you something that comes to our heart or mind for somebody or asking to pray for someone who's got a serious problem or drop off a casserole and say, I love you, God loves you and He cares about the situation you're in. Lord, you know what it is. We don't. Would you please give each of us one opportunity in the next 7 days to pray and risk with your gifts with your supernatural spirit if you're willing for that stick your hand up wherever you are if you if you say I'm sincere I want that lord I want one of those all right you said yes to him you said yes now expect him to come and it'll and I'll tell you what right it'll be awkward Your heart will pound. You won't want to do it, but you'll remember this message and you'll do it and you'll see God do something. If all He does is train you in obedience and it was a total failure, I've had lots of those. If it turns out to be dead on and somebody gets blessed or saved, I've had a couple of those. But we're growing in the Lord, okay? We're going forward. Amen. We made it. We made it on time. Thank
0: you, Mark.